The reading is taken from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. And this is on page 1015. The request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, thank you, Brian. Um, let's just pray for a second. Father God, I thank you. Actually, interestingly, as we've begun to worship this morning, for myself, but also for us, we realize that... Um, It's so easy for the cares of the world to um, entangle our hearts. And Father, when you say yes or you make a request of us, you know, we sit there and say, Lord, how can I? How can we? Look at my situation. And I want to thank you this morning that nothing is impossible for you. Thank you that you're extraordinarily faithful and that you continue to be at work, not just in my heart, but our hearts, softening us again to your name, to your kingdom, and to equip us for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in some ways from all the kind of, um, some of the kind of uh, general things. I'm a little of this passage is a little bit punchy this morning, so I don't want to uh, disappoint you. Um, but let me introduce you to someone. This is someone called Adam Grant. Adam Grant is a preeminent professor in the States, in a university there in the States, and his um, sphere of kind of study is workplace dynamics. He's employed to kind of look at workplace dynamics and to work out how to get the best out of people. 
and he advises some of the big kind of big multinationals, people like Google and Facebook, and for those who understand American football and the US Army, uh, kind of lots of things. He's very influential. He's only in his early 40s. And he wrote a number of years ago this seminal book that became really popular, particularly in the States, called Give and Take. Give and Take. In the book, he essentially divided the world into two categories, the givers and the takers. Givers and takers. And he did, a research, did some research in lots of, quite a number of different countries, not lots and not and surveyed lots of adults around the globe and asked about different sets of values. And these were the two different sets of values. Takers were the values in list one where the values were really about acquiring wealth, about power, about pleasure, and about winning. That's one set of values. Second set of values were about helpfulness, about responsibility, about social justice and compassion. And the interesting thing is he went and surveyed all these different people, these adults in different countries, was this, is every single country surveyed, the majority of the adults said, they far rated much more highly the givers than the takers. Giver values were much more attractive to these adults and much more important to them. And that to the extent that they thought, you know, this is the world I'd like to live in. This is the world I'd like to be part of. This is the world I'd like to create. And obviously, 2,000 years ago, in our Bible reading, we also find the fact that this is something Jesus tasked his followers, value-giving, overtaking. Value-giving, overtaking. There's lots of places I go to, but it's this passage in Mark 10 that actually I want us to look at. Mark 10, if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, do get it open either on your phone or in the, in, the, um, in the green Bible in front of you. One of the things we'll find in this encounter that we find here in Mark 10, one of the reasons I find the Bible stories, and particularly these Bible stories, is that the Bible doesn't airbrush over the leaders in the Bible stories. You know, our temptation in our culture, and particularly in our current culture, is to kind of put our best foot forward all the time. Just show my best side. Let's pretend there isn't a shadow side, another side to me. So whether it's kind of the internet, social, social media stuff. But in the Bible, what we see is real conversations with real people and seeing as they are. And here we find James and John. Now, it feels like I could pick on James and John this morning, but here we go. So, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that's Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. I mean, I've got an hour I could go at that, to be honest. But what a prayer from James and John. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Clearly, James and John were approaching the Lord with great humility. But we really like you, Jesus, to do exactly what we want when we want. And what I'm telling you to do, Jesus. 
And the challenging bit of this is, does that sound like some of our prayer lives? Some of my, my prayer life? Lord, will you just do my will, ultimately, to make my life a little bit easier? James and John come and they say it. And when they say this, I, you know, my temptation, if I'd been Jesus, would have just to be laughed at them. <laughs> have you got any idea what you're asking? Or to dismiss them as sort of idiots? Do you realize that I'm the Lord of the universe and you're sat there saying, please do what I want to do? But what does Jesus do? Actually, in many ways, it's extraordinary. Jesus simply says, okay, what do you want? What do you want? James and John then dig a bigger hole for themselves. Uh, as Jesus sometimes sends in, he lures us in, and then we say, okay, so let us sit at the right hand and the other at the left in your glory, say James and John. You don't know what you're asking, said Jesus. James and John, their hearts laid bare, are looking for prominence, status, to sit either side of Jesus in his kingly splendor. They're thinking like takers. So a few things and characteristics of takers as we think about this passage. All of us, at one time or another, are going to get disappointed in life. Don't get the job we want, things don't go the way we want. And actually, if we're takers, what we realize, literally our lives will be crushed by that. And actually, when we don't get what we want, in a sense, it tests our hearts. Because actually, givers will realize, do you know what? My desire to serve God's purposes, God's kingdom, actually won't be kind of completely derailed by the fact that this one thing didn't happen. There are thousands of other ways that God can use me to bless others. James and John are here, are looking for status, for power, and a role. Looking to elevate themselves above others. One of our great temptations uh, for all of us, and it's not just uh, for them, but for all of us, and that doesn't really change, it just shows itself in different ways, is to be great self-promoters. Do you know, the world needs to revolve, revolve around me. It's all about me, ultimately. I know we've been called amongst the last 10, 20 years. We are the I generation. Kind of essentially self-consumed. And actually, takers will always ask in a kind of a, a culture that with, is predominant in, in that. We'll say, what's, what's this in it for me? Every encounter, every kind of opportunity will ultimately be about achieving what we want. How will this benefit me, my needs, my vision, my hope, my desires? Me. We've just uh, been through the Easter story, and in Luke 22, uh, Luke records Jesus in the Last Supper. It says, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. And actually here, even in this time, and in our own culture, there are lots of people, people who can look like givers. But actually, they're takers. 
Huge amount of charity and philanthropy, and if you spend some time looking in business as well. A lot of it really is about elevating ourselves from the crumbs left over. It's very easy in a way to tell when someone hasn't escaped the kind of the consumption with themselves is that essentially the whole language, the whole attitude is all about me. I'm the center of the universe. Make everything revolve around me. It's all about me. Takers are people who focus on themselves all the time. And there's lots of reasons for that, but I, I can't necessarily go into all those this morning. So let's have a look then at givers. So if you look at verse 42, if we go on towards the end of the passage as well, after Jesus has taught about baptism. At verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know, the early church, if we read stories of the early church and we read the gospel accounts, we'll find this idea of being a servant is, is really taken on by the early church leaders. This call to be a servant. This call to be a servant, we see it in the letters in the New Testament, in Paul's letters, in Peter as well. And why? Why did that take, get such leverage where Paul says, you know, constantly talks about being a servant of Christ or a slave of Christ? And we see it most famously again in that beautiful passage in Philippians, in Philippians 2. Jesus himself. Jesus himself, the Lord of the whole universe, shows the way. How? By not indulging himself, not choosing to indulge himself, not dominating the people around him, not seeking to control everything that was part of him, but showing something different. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, but made himself nothing taking the form of servant, became obedient to death, even death, on a cross. God himself, taking the form of a servant for you and I. What does it mean to see yourself this morning as a servant? A couple of things I'd just kind of draw your attention to. One of which is it's important to see we don't just do everything. It's the fact that we realize, as Paul also writes in Ephesians, that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus with good works to do. That we're here to serve God, our lives centered around him, but then also to serve others around us with God's plans and purposes that he has placed on our lives. God is uniquely placed on each one of our lives. There are things that only you can do that nobody else can do, and God knows it. And his longing in your life is for, for you to grasp his purposes for you, 
to realize you can touch the people you work with, you live with, you spend time doing leisure with in a way that nobody else could. And there may be times where you just feel completely inadequate for that task. But the task of discipleship is to take hold of that. Take hold of the fact that God has good plans for your life in and through Christ. Not for you to do it on your own, but in the power of his spirit to live and to serve for his praise and his glory. And Jesus says, because I'm not leaving you, follow me. Let me help you take the right fork in the road. You know, we face lots of choices and lots of decisions. In many ways, as part of our organizing Giving Sunday, we're sort of asking you to take a fork in the road and saying, will you join with us? And do that. But our discipleship on a weekly basis and on a daily basis is saying, God allowing God reign in your life so you can be to say, do you know, there is a phone call only you can make. There's a text, there's a, a hospital visit, there's a whatever else it is. There are individual things in your daily week that you are only capable of making and connecting with people. Difficult conversation, maybe, that only you are placed to have. Because God has blessed us. God has come in Christ to be our servants so we can then bless others. And I know when we do that, it seems a bit radical because we've all got busy lives and we've got lots of things to do. But actually, in being a servant, what we realize is it also means there will be inconvenience. If you don't want inconvenience in your life, then servanthood will be really, really, really difficult. But if your identity is to be a servant of the Lord, where we actually allow him to shape our time, our gifts, and the things we do with it, then actually we will be inconvenienced from just driving our own lives forward in our own way. So for me, it might be, or for you, it might be you know, attending your daughter's football match and not being stuck on your phone the whole time, communicating your semi-detachment from it. Maybe serving coffee at the back of church, maybe anything. But there will be some level of inconvenience if you're a servant. That's the way it is. And if you're looking for an example, I'll, you know, just think about parenting, that's all I'll say. Parenting, you've just got to lay your life down for them. Gives the people who are willing to sacrifice. So in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It is mind-blowing that God in human form should come into the messiness of our world and talk about serving. That's how radical it is. To die for us so that we, you and me, 2,000 years later, may know life eternal. This sets Jesus apart from every other religion. Every other fan of religion says, follow my teaching. Follow my example. Try hard. But Jesus says you can't. It's not enough. 
I had to come to die, to lay my life down for you. You can't save yourself. Jesus said, my purpose, my life's purpose is to die for you, to sacrifice, to offer my life, a perfect life, for yours, an imperfect life. That's not how we do it today in our world. That's how radical it still is 2,000 years later. And of course, there'll be many times where we realize that we can sacrifice for all sorts of things. But we've, this morning, we reflect again on Jesus and all he's done for us. He laid it all on the line on Calvary so that we may know life eternal. I said this to the life group I was with this week. Is that, um, a few years ago, Joe and I were on the Isle of Man, and I don't get to go to lots of church services anymore because I'm a vicar, but I was struck by the service we went to where the vicar basically, who, when he wasn't a vicar, got really angry with his vicar later in life, saying, you never told me that I should be giving generously and tithing. You didn't lay it on the line to me, and I hold you responsible But I was struck by that because we Anglicans don't tend to say that. We tend to say, just give. But actually, if we want to sit under the fullness of God's blessing, then at some point, you've got to choose obedience to God. He laid it down, all down for you. I know there are thousands of reasons why, in our heads, we think we can't do that. I do live in the real world. But God's call on our lives is so great. He calls us into generosity and to serving him. The book I've, um, I've sort of talked about called Give and Take also has a passage in it uh, about matches. It doesn't just talk about two categories. It talks about matches. And matches are people who will give if it suits them. Actually, if they're going to get something back for it, You'll recognize this is that, you know, actually I will sacrifice for you if I know I'm going to get something for it. And I kind of feel that's a lot of where we sit as a culture. Do you know, if I get everything I want, Tim, if you promise me a good life, I might give sacrificially. But there's also 50 other things I could give to, Tim. And actually, but God calls us. God calls us to simply give of ourselves and to give generously. I was reminded when I was thinking about this to the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, we're not called to reflect the values of our world. Even the pagans and tax collectors do that. They love those who love them. Yet Jesus seeing our complete inability, gives of himself to save us. Give everything for us. Not because we could give something to him, but because actually he loves us and longs for us to return home. And he longs for us to be like him in our world that is full of anxiety, full of challenges, full of difficult things. Let me pray.
So, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are compassionate, you're merciful. Just ask this morning that you would soften our hearts again towards you, towards your purposes. Father, I recognize that there'd be many this morning who were kind of sat there thinking, what can I give? What can I bring? But I pray, Father, for the things in our heads and in our lives that hold us. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you set us free again as we think about the cross and the resurrection? Think about the power in the name of Jesus to live for you. Help us, Father, to live out of the freedom and joy of being able to give back to you the way that you've blessed us so abundantly. It doesn't matter how big that is, just that there's a softness of heart to respond to what you've called us to give. Father, thank you that out of obedience you do extraordinary things. Would you continue to grow us as people of your, of your name? Grow us in faith. Lead us on, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.